I may not have turned that on for you. Morning, everyone. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it is pleased God through the folly of what is preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to the shame, the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to the shame, what is strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to, to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. We say we are a a gospel-centered community. And when I say gospel, that just means good news. We say we're a community of people centered around the good news of Jesus. But why that message at the center? Why that particular message? Why should that be at the center of our life together here? There are lots of other messages that are more popular today. But this is a message that, that offends people. It talks about sin. It says we are guilty before God. That is not popular. It offends people, and it sometimes just confuses people today. This idea of sin presupposes a God who made me and to whom I'm accountable, and it presupposes standards of absolute right and wrong, and it presupposes a God who so loves us, he would rescue us from our eternal plight. People outside these walls that I know, at least, they don't have categories for those things except perhaps a nebulous idea of love. It's an offensive message. It's confusing sometimes with the real problem. This message is just far too restrictive. It's too, it's too narrow-minded. I mean, if I'm not hurting anyone, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. That's the ethic of our culture. But you're going to tell me a message that wants to restrict my sexuality when all I have to do is swipe on an app on my phone and I can have a good time. This gospel, this good news, is, it's old-fashioned. And if you embrace that message, you're going to end up on the wrong side of history. Are you aware of that? 
Look, it's a foolish, me foolish message in our culture. It's a foolish message. Let's be honest. It's a foolish message. So wouldn't it be better for us just to somehow move on? Or at least, right, at least make it more palatable? Don't you want to do that? Don't you wish we could? Don't you ever find the temptation to feel like I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed about this message? I mean, I, I think I should just keep my mouth shut about it. I think that would be best. Can you not relate to that? It's very tempting, friends. It's very tempting to think we should move on from this message or change it somehow or just keep quiet about it because it's a foolish message. And what God is saying to us in this passage, I think, could be summarized in three words. <laughs> Embrace the foolishness. It's a foolish message. So here's a three-word sermon. Embrace the foolishness. Embrace the foolishness of God's message and embrace, you might say, the foolishness of God's people. We're going to see those two things. We're going to cover a lot, but have that sort of category, that outline rather in mind. Embrace the, the foolishness of God's message and even the foolishness of who we are together. So let's see first. Let's see first how the foolishness, quote unquote, the foolishness of the cross, friends, it reveals God's wisdom and God's power to save. See, our passage really connects back with the previous verse. Look at verse 17 with me. Let's get a running start from there. Verse 17, where we read, For Christ, the apostle says, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, this good news, and not with words, notice, of eloquent wisdom. Not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now that's a frightening phrase. It's possible for you and me somehow to empty the cross of Christ of its power. It's possible somehow for Grace Church in our ministry to empty, to shake out, as it were, the power of the cross. Which is why the apostle said he did not come to them with which, which the ESV translates as eloquent wisdom. Eloquent wisdom. It's translating a Greek word that you know, the word Sophia. You've heard of that in some fashion, the word Sophia. But here the Corinthians, they loved Sophia, but what they were really in love with was a, a kind of wisdom, a kind of philosophy that came packaged to impress. <laughs> you see, Corinth was kind of a crossroads. They had in this day traveling orators, and it was a big deal to gather and, and be impressed by someone's speaking ability. Think of a TED Talk, but in a stadium context, as a spectator sport. Spectator TED Talks. That's what was happening in Corinth. That's why it says there, eloquent wisdom. They wanted to move on from this message. Maybe to something, something more palatable in the culture. 
something that seems wiser, something certainly that is more impressive, some higher thing beyond the folly, the foolishness that the apostle had brought them. And so he says in verse 18, for the word of the cross, it's folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We often say, you know, there are only two kinds of people in the world. And then it'll be something like people who love Brussels sprouts and people who don't. Or people who like the beach and people who don't. People who are Padres fans and people who aren't. We create all kinds of dividing lines, right? Well, here's the ultimate dividing line. The word of the cross. The message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this verse is telling us those who reject that message, they're in the category of the perishing. For those who embrace it, those who believe on Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, they are in the category of those being saved. I'm not trying to offend you. If you're here and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, we're glad you're here. And I think you're in the right place this morning personally. I'm not trying to offend you. But this passage is saying, this verse is saying that you are currently in the category of the perishing and will do so for eternity unless you turn to Jesus Christ, turn from going your own way, and trust in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God. So I just want to pause and plead with you. Turn to Christ. Turn to God's love for you in Christ. Turn, turn to the one who gave his perfect life to take away your sins and reconcile you to God. And if you come to him believing, relying only on him, he will do that for you, friend. But this passage is really addressing Christians. Christians who are moving away from that cross, moving away from that gospel. They're enamored with Sophia. They want a more palatable message for the culture, one that will be more impressive and seemingly more wise to the culture. And so the apostle says in verse 20, where, where is the one who is wise? You Corinthians want wisdom? Okay, where's the one who is wise in your eyes? Where is the scribe, the expert in the law? Where is the debater of this age, the philosopher? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God has outwitted the wisdom, the supposed wisdom of mankind. How? Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, notice, the world did not know God through wisdom. Left to ourselves. We're just groping around in the dark, trying to find a God of our own making. Trying to find truth. Trying to find peace. Trying to find satisfaction. We're groping around in the dark. We're grasping at straws. You pick your metaphor for futility. And that's what the apostle is describing. The world through its wisdom did not know God, does not know God, so it pleased God through the folly 
through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, he is not saying preaching is foolishness per se. We'll talk about preaching a little bit next week. He's saying the content of my preaching, the folly of the content of what we preach, it pleased God to save through that content. Now, let's first ask, though, just to understand his argument, okay, why... Why does this world view the message as folly? Why? Well, he's going to tell us. He's going to root the reason in two basic human idolatries. Two fundamental things we love more than God. Two things we, we try to hold God to that he might explain himself to us. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs, he says. And Greeks seek wisdom. That's why the message seems like folly. The apostle uses these two groups to illustrate two basic idolatries. I think you could call them human power, autonomy, and human wisdom or reason. You see, the human heart, the human heart treats life like a game of checkers. What do you do in checkers when you get your piece to the other side of the board? What do you do? What do you say? Crown me or king me, right? Maybe you say crown me and I have my checkers terminology wrong with the same idea. Crown me or king me. And that's what the human heart always wants to say or is saying. King me. King me with my autonomy, my right to self-determination, my, my ability to determine my own sexuality and my gender and what my marriage should look like. King me in my idolatry of power. King me in my idolatry to human reason. I get to decide whether what God says is true and right and good. I decide. And so if I don't like holy war in the book of Joshua... I don't like his standards of sexuality in 1 Corinthians 6, or I don't like how he defines marriage in Genesis 2. I throw it all out because God must measure up to my standards of reason and acceptability. That's what the apostle is describing. These two fundamental human idolatries, as our hearts say, King me. Can you relate? I can. I see them in my heart. They're still there. I can identify. And the apostle, what he's getting at is the fact that the cross of Christ stands ever opposed to those human idolatries. Notice verse 23 now. It's a glorious verse. But we preach Christ crucified. Fundamental idolatries. Human heart always saying, king me. But tell you what, here's what we do. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, to those who are called to salvation in Christ, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Glorious. Because Christ crucified is a, a stumbling block the 
the word is, is a Greek word from which we get our word scandal, which wouldn't be a bad translation here. People were scandalized by the message of Christ crucified. Christ crucified, that seemed to them in the first century like a contradiction in terms. I mean, Christ or Messiah or anointed one, that's about power. That's about maybe military might. That's about a great deliverer. And crucifixion was the most humiliating, shameful way to die, hanging naked for days in public, as you were executed as a state criminal. Christ crucified, it's like saying hot ice, <laughs> frozen fire. Those terms don't go together. They don't make sense together. It's the divine scandal, you might say. Crucified Messiah. God in the flesh executed. God's word, God's law says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This is why it's a stumbling block to Jewish people. God's law said, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And this guy, Jesus, was hung, as it were, on a tree. He died on a cross, bearing the curse of God against our sin. And for the Romans, Roman and Greek gods, they, they stood far off. They were aloof and they were capricious. You had to somehow appease them in their wrath. And this is a message of God taking on human flesh to appease God's wrath against us in his love. Of course it was a stumbling block. Of course it was folly. Of course the Corinthians wanted to move on. And friends, of course, that's going to be our temptation too. In fact, I think this temptation is only going to grow stronger. It's only going to increase as this message seems more and more offensive. Every time, every time we think it's an offensive message and I don't want to offend people, every time we think no one, no one thinks in this old-fashioned way anymore, every time we think I don't want to be on the wrong side of history is every time your heart is saying, king me. I'll decide if this is the power and wisdom of God to save. I was, I was, I had agreed to go running with a couple friends yesterday. And then before I, was, before I left my house, one of them texted, and he said, I'm not going to make it. So now it's just going to be two of us, a guy I'd been reaching out to, and a feeling of, 
I just want to use the word dread came over me. Maybe it would be anxiety. You know why? Because I suddenly realized, oh no, this could be an opportunity for outreach. I'm, I'm serious. Oh no, this could be a gospel opportunity that I have an obligation now to try to seize. And I had a sense of dread about this. And then I drive to the meeting place and I see a different guy's car there. And I had a sense of relief. Oh, it really is going to be three of us. It's going to be a group context. So really not a gospel opportunity. I am telling you the truth. What was going on there? I was confronting the foolishness of this message, and I didn't want to appear foolish. My heart was saying, king me. Friends, what about you? Can you see a similar tendency in which your heart kind of wants to move on from this message? I wonder if we could alter it somehow. I wonder if we could make it more palatable. In the morning prayer meeting, we were praying especially for the, I guess would be the millennial generation. Let's call them younger than me. Let's call them college age or beyond. Let's, and also our youth, our young people. And we were praying especially for you because I think the pressure will be most acute on you. You want to say, can I change this somehow? It's been said rightly, we're always one generation away from losing the gospel. I mean, are you hearing the siren song in your own hearts of, you know, I'll decide what is best for me. I have autonomy. Are you hearing the siren song of, I'll decide what is right for me. I'll decide what is true for me. Are you hearing those messages and starting to listen to them and starting to drift? Listen, God is saying to us very simply, embrace the foolishness. Embrace the apparent foolishness that is, friends, the power and wisdom of God to save Christ crucified. The cross is that power and that wisdom for all who believe. That's the foolishness of God's message. But then he does something very interesting. He, he holds us up as exhibit A for God's power and wisdom through foolishness. Let's look at it and call it this. The foolishness of our own lives displays God's power and wisdom, or wisdom and power to save. The foolishness of ourselves, you might say. Look at verse 26 now. Verse 26, he says, for, for consider your calling, your calling to salvation, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Pause there. In the 18th century, a noble woman, a woman of noble birth, the Countess of Huntington, she said, blessed be God. It does not say any noble it says, not many. She says, I owe my salvation to the letter M. <laughs> it's not that God totally counts out the wealthy, the powerful, the celebrity conversions. But not many. As he goes on to explain, verse 27, God instead, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
Put yourself in these verses. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing, to nullify the things that are. Friends, those are humbling statements about us, are they not? Foolish, weak, low, and despised. Welcome to Grace Church. Welcome to God's people. He's saying, God's agenda in choosing you was the same agenda he described in the cross of Christ, namely to nullify human wisdom, to nullify human power, to nullify human strength by choosing the foolish, the weak, and the nothing in this world, namely you and me. I read an article this week. It was entitled, Iranian Official says, quote, mass conversions are happening right under our eyes. I'm quoting from the article. Addressing a gathering of Shia Muslim leaders, Iran's intelligence minister, Mohammed Alavi, admitted to summoning Christian converts for questioning, saying that mass conversions are, quote, happening right under our eyes. This is the Iranian intelligence minister. In his speech, Alavi admitted that these converts are, quote, ordinary people. Ordinary people whose jobs are selling sandwiches and similar things. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 1. Apparently, the Iranians were explaining away the conversions that are happening in Iran by saying it was some kind of Western plot among the elites, and this is now undercutting that theory. They're just ordinary people. They're sandwich sellers. Oh, my goodness. Can you get any more low and despised than the sandwich sellers? And they're coming to Christ, and it's happening right under our eyes. Friends, we're exhibit A for putting the power and wisdom of God in Christ crucified on display. And that's why he says, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Consider how God summoned you to himself. That's how you should read calling there. It was not like an invitation, hey, would you like to come? It's okay, you can choose not to, it's up to you. No, it was God saying, come, and you did. God summoning you, like you'd be summoned to appear before a judge. I summon you to myself. To myself. If we missed it, you'll notice that in verses 27 and 28, Three times he said he chose. Did you see that? Three times he chose what is foolish. He chose what is weak. He chose what is low and despised for the purpose found in verse 29, so that, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So consider your calling. Consider God's summoning you to salvation. Consider how God chose you that all grounds for your boasting in the presence of God might be removed. Think about, think about the guy in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is in the synagogue. There is a man with a withered hand. The religious leaders want to accuse Jesus. They want to 
see him heal on the Sabbath, which they, which they think is a problem. And so Jesus is, it says, angry at their hardened hearts. And so he says, look, is it lawful or not to heal on the Sabbath? I think it is good to do good on the Sabbath. And he says to the guy, stretch out your hand. Now, if that guy could have stretched out his hand that morning, he would have done so. But at the instant that Jesus commands him, stretch out your hand, Jesus also gives the ability to stretch it out, and he did. That's what your salvation was like. You were commanded to believe. God commands you to believe. But you were dead in sin. But at the moment of your calling, God gave you the ability to obey the command to believe. And you did. But now I ask you, here's the point. Did that man go home saying to his family, look at what I accomplished with my hand today. Look at what I did with my old hand, by myself, on my own. Look what I did with my hand. I stretched it out. No. He went on home boasting in the one who healed him that he might stretch it out, and that's the point the apostle says. Boast in the one who chose you and called you that you might repent and believe, that you might boast evermore in him, as the passage concludes, verse 30 and 31. And because of him, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, to us, wisdom from God. What is that wisdom? He's going to explain. It's righteousness, it's sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. But he's giving us our three metaphors to explain the wisdom. The apparent foolishness to the world of Christ crucified is Christ who became for you wisdom. How? Well, let me give you three metaphors to understand that wisdom. Metaphor number one, from the courtroom, Jesus is your righteousness, your right standing before God the judge, credited to you by grace alone through faith alone. Metaphor number two, from the temple, Jesus is your sanctification, your holiness. You were set apart by God and defined before him as holy once and for all. Metaphor number three, from the slave market, Jesus is your redemption, your freedom, you might say. Jesus set you free from your former slavery to sin. Three metaphors to show you in Christ crucified. He is the wisdom from God for you. He is the power and wisdom of God to save. Three metaphors that you might only boast in the Lord. This is good news. And so the application, the takeaway point, is real simple, isn't it? It's given to us in verse 31. <laughs> Boast in the Lord. Even I was able to figure that out. The takeaway point is, well, boast in the Lord. Boast in Him. Glory in Him, you might say. Exult. Exult in the Lord. It's kind of like when your favorite team wins or you go to a, a concert that was amazing 
and at the end of the game or the concert, you rejoice or you give a standing ovation. Yeah! You're glorying. You're exulting. You're boasting in that great win or that great concert. And he's saying, do that with the cross of Christ. Don't ever stop. Friends, this is why we must be a gospel-centered community. It's why we must never, ever, ever alter the message, move on from the message, hide the message, be embarrassed of the message, but instead boast, glory, exult in Christ crucified, your righteousness, your sanctification, your holiness, and your redemption, your freedom. It's why we sing the songs we sing, that Christ crucified would be our boast through song. We'd gather and through song, we'd glory in Jesus, we'd exult in him. That's the point. It's why the good news of Christ crucified is the center of our fellowship. That as you gather together, you don't think mainly, these people are too different from me. No, you think, guess what we have in common? Jesus. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is fueling our fellowship together. Christ crucified. And it's why, yes, it's why Christ crucified empowers our outreach and fuels our evangelism. As I finished my run yesterday with these two other guys, these two other friends, and we stretched, and then one of them went to his car, and the other one that I, honestly, I dreaded to reach out to, sat alone in his driveway. I did the bold thing. I said, hey, thanks for the run. And I walked to my car. I sat down, and I had one of those Christianity Explored invitations staring at me. It's being hosted tonight at Eric and Cheryl's house. And I had prayed driving over, thinking it was just the two of us. At a minimum, it would be great to give my friend this invitation. And by God's grace, I said, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. I've got to embrace the foolishness. And I took my invitation over to my friend and I said, hey, my church is doing this. I thought you might have interest. I was thinking of you. We're going to look at the book of Mark for those who want to study this book of the Bible. And I left him reading this invitation. And it was the weakest ever expression of outreach in all of church history. <laughs> but maybe a tiny bit, friends, of embracing the foolishness that I might boast, glory, and exult in the Lord. That's what God is calling us to. It's good news. Christ has become for you true wisdom. The message seems foolishness, it might seem folly. Here's true wisdom from God. Your righteousness, 
your holiness and your freedom in Christ crucified, the power and wisdom of God to save you, friends. So boast in him, glory in him, exult in him. And to help us do that, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together quite fittingly. So would the music team please come back, and those who are going to serve us, please prepare to do so. The Lord's Supper is a great opportunity to put this right into practice, to apply the apostle's quotation of Jeremiah. The one who boasts, not boast in yourself today, not say, king me, as my heart wants to do all the time, but you take the bread and the cup, and it's a great opportunity to boast in the Lord, to glory and exult in the one who is crucified and is raised for you. You see, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Friends, do this in remembrance of me and glory in him. Then he took the cup, saying, This is God's covenant sealed with my blood. Drink from it, he said, in remembrance of me. And you can exalt, you can boast in him. So as the band begins to play in a moment, when you're ready, when you're ready, come down the side aisles. Take a piece of bread. Take a cup of wine or juice. And in your heart, friend, be intentional. Embrace the foolishness, as it were, and boast in Jesus Christ. If you're aware of any ways you've been boasting in yourself, as we all tend to do, boast in Jesus. Glory in Him. Exalt in Him right now. Those who haven't trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we ask you to take Christ, like I mentioned, turn to Jesus, and be transferred from the category of the perishing to the category of those being saved. Let me pray for us as our servers prepare. Lord, help us now to, to boast, to glory, to exalt in you over everything else. Lord, my heart so quickly wants to say, king me, crown me. And by your power right now, help us to glory only in you, to exalt in you alone, to boast in true wisdom, the one who became for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption, our freedom. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, please come down the side aisles.